On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. It's, it's been an amazing couple of weeks and I've really enjoyed uh, every moment of it. You know, we've put in so much hard work, the, the preparation and everything that's come with this series, it's, it's been huge. And um, to know that everything's worked out and we've been able to get that earned back, you know, all the emotions just came out at once. And, um, you know, I'm just so pleased and, and happy for, for the group, uh, everyone in there and... Um, all the support staff and, and everyone that's put in the, the work and, uh, and everything to, to get the success that we've had over the last couple of weeks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Menzel, and that was a jubilant Australian skipper, Steve Smith, after Australia regained the Ashes in convincing fashion, smashing England by an innings and 41 runs at the final ever test at the Wacker. In this episode of Cricket Unfiltered, I will be interviewing John Holland and Matt Renshaw, but let's start with the victorious scenes at the Wacker. I spoke to Robert Craddock from the Courier-Mail in Brisbane after the conclusion of the test. Hey, Crash, how was it? Yes, well, it was a very unusual day, man, as it was, uh, you know, with the leakage of the covers and play delayed until one o'clock, it was quite farcical. They were going on and off. It was like a Benny Hill show. But, you know, it's the last day of Test Cricket at the Wacker. And as I speak to you now, I'm standing hot. I'm actually in the Channel 9 box. I've come in here to do it. And it's quite emotional looking around the ground and thinking that Test Cricket, that the likes of, over the years, Dennis Lilly and Kim Hughes and Justin Langer and Mike Hussey and all those favourites, you know, they're gone forever from the Wacker. And I now cast an eye out to the new Super Stadium. But it had character, this ground. And it delivered right till the end. And even that little pitch drama today where they were working on the pitch, a, a, a wet spot on the pitch, that's Perth cricket for you, uh, you where you expect the unexpected. Well, I was going to ask you if you were feeling any sense of nostalgia saying goodbye to the Wacker, but you certainly are by the tone of your voice. But the day started off in absolute controversy with somehow water getting through the covers. Now, I've seen the headlines in England. They're painting a pretty poor picture of what happened. Can you explain exactly what happened? Well, uh, overnight, there was a portion of the covers blown off and just on a about a really good length at the print at the Lily Marsh end, um, you know, there was seepage and, and Wacker officials tried to write it off as saying that it was a result of slow appliance of the covers and they said too much water got on. I disagree because it was a little band. It was a little spot about a couple of metres wide. So I, we've seen some narrow storm bands in our time, Manners. I don't know if I've seen anyone that narrow. So, <laughs> yeah, and Joe Root was understandably upset by it. I mean, Steve Smith was too, of course. He wanted to get out there. But Joe Root was sort of saying, oh, my goodness me, these soft spots, you know, you can put your finger in it. And so it took three hours to get it right. And, of course, the first ball bowled to that end got under Johnny Bairstow's back. 
But after that, look, it, to be truthful, it didn't play too badly. But it was just another drama. Um, the English press you know, were laughing, saying, have a look at those Hessian covers. They must cost all of $40. <laughs> it did look a bit of a ramshackle operation. Yeah, it did you look. You know what right. that was, is? What? Because they're not used to it. It really rains here in Perth. <laughs> they have scrambling to look for the covers. Well, I think we should focus on, I guess, an historic day for Australia. Historic day for Steve Smith. He captains a winning Ashes side. He looked just so jubilant. I mean, he does wear his heart on his sleeve, but he just could could not contain his excitement after they won the match and the series. No, he couldn't, and uh, he has admitted that when he got into the dressing room, he dissolved into tears. It's a really big moment for him. He, he so deserved it. I mean, look, he, here's a, an observation, all right? For all that's been said about England fast bowlers' lack of pace, for all of the failures of some of their big stars like Alistair Cook and Joe Root and Moeen Ali and Stuart Broad, the simple facts are... If Steve Smith had have failed in this series, the current scoreline would probably read England 2, Australia 1. Honestly, he saved Australia two tests. If he hadn't fired up at the Gabba, Australia were gone. If he hadn't fired up here, you can imagine Mm. it, our lower order exposed and chasing 400. So, you know, one man's made a difference and he carried it. He sounded exhausted at his press conference. Yeah. Also, he batted uh, with Mitch Marsh. They put on 300. That must have just been an absolute fairy tale at the Wacker. You know, hometown boy recalled into the side, older brother playing in the side, his dad a former player. Did the Wacker crowd really embrace uh, Mitch Marsh? Yeah, they did. You look, just inside Gate 8, where there's a, the, the wall of fame of, of WA's 52 test players, and they're all there, Ken Millman, um, you know, Jim Hughes, Dennis Lilly, Rod Marsh, great and small, Simon Caddick, everyone. But before you get to that, there's this giant placard of the, the three Marshes, Jeff and his sons, Sean and Mitchell, and it's got inspiring champions on it. And, and there's, that's been there for two years. There's been various times in that two years when that's looked a little bit out of place. But People like the Marshes over here, not because they think they're Adam Gilchrist types or Dennis Lilly quality, but because they just think they have a crack. You know, they they quite enjoy the rough and tumble of their careers. And, you know, Mitchell has had a lot of downs in his careers, twice sent home for the National Crit Academy, but not putting in, like just turning up once after a big night of training. And it's taken him a while to sort of get it, but... Look, there was a lovely interview he gave, I think, with the ABC where he said, look, I, I woke up in the morning and, and the, I, I just stared at the scorecard, you know, at my name with 181 or whatever it was beside it. He said, then I went to the race fields. But he said, <laughs> I didn't so much read the report. I just, I, he said, I just had to just look at the, he became, you know, almost entranced by it. He said, because, you know, it's been a dream all his life. So a beautiful moment. Yeah, it was a beautiful moment and a fitting sort of story to end at the Wacker that he had such an impact on that test, the local boy. Um, I guess the the decisive factor in this series, apart from Steve Smith, has been Australia's four-man bowling attack. They smashed England out for 218 in the second innings in this test match and really all four of them, Hazelwood, Lyon, Cummins and Stark, have just bowled beautifully together as a group. They really did. And, and you know what? It, 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 there was a stat come out after the game that I think it was 97 of the top 100 balls, fastest balls bowled in the match. 
were bowled by Australians. I mean, that's an overpowering stat. But the two killer stats that also came out after it was that Australians got more swing and more spin. So uh, I'm sitting next to Michael Atherton, and when I told him those stats, the former English captain, he said, hey, mate, that's the game. <laughs> and he was right, you know, like swing, seam, pace. If you've got all that going, you have to win the game, basically. And they did. You know, I was quite pleased to see Pat Cummins get the last wicket. I don't think this series has given him what he probably deserves. He's batted beautifully and really toiled hard. Took four wickets in the game, but could have easily had more. And look, the match sort of finished in the way the series has been played. The Aussies bounced Jimmy Anderson mercilessly to get that last wicket. You know, he copped a nasty blow in the head. Never nice to see that. But it sort of encapsulates this, this whole series. Australia have been ruthless and fast, and England just haven't quite been up to it. Yeah, it's a good observation by your menace. And look, in fact, I've led my story on that, that, you know, the crack of Jimmy Anderson's helmet will reverberate all the way to South Africa because we're playing South Africa in four tests, not three, four in March. That, to me, is Australia's defining moment as a cricket team. I think they've bullied England out of this series on home soil, as they tend to do. Uh, great effort, really playing well, good on them, congratulations. But South Africa will be the defining moment. If they can bully South Africa out of that test series, and keep in mind, we incredibly, Australia hasn't lost a series in South Africa since apartheid, apartheid, I mean. That'll be their defining moment. That's when we'll really see what this team is made of. But they've done a wonderful performance, you know, Selectors have been brilliant as well. A great day. A great day for the country. A great day for the Australian fans. We can sort of put the 2015 Ashes behind us now. Steve Smith was man of the match. He's led this side in a famous victory. A couple of stories came out before the game started. One was about some match fixing. I just wonder, Dirk Nannis and David Hussey have said that they were sort of had inklings when they when they were playing. Have you sort of heard anything like that since this story's broken, that there might be something to it? Yeah, just continued concerns with the IPL. I mean, off the record, guys tell you a lot more. Just saying, oh, mate, I was in the IPL when I saw this or that. Enormous suspicions and just the feeling that world cricket has never really got to the bottom of it. And, you know, it's just... You, you may say, oh, these players are so much now, they wouldn't be interested. But life doesn't work like that. Like, I, I mean, someone told me this story about a, a player who was close to retirement. He wasn't an Australian, but he said this guy, you know, on his last trip to India, you know, and, you know, probably had four or five innings to go in the IPL, and they really suspected him the way he batted as is, is being highly suspicious. So his mindset was, I'm nearly done anyway. No one will find out. So, you know, I thought, yeah, that that that's a mindset which would worry me. A guy near a t- last season, the IPL, no care, no responsibility. So it's out there, Menas, and it's a chastening statistic that cricket's corruption body, which was formed in the year 2000, that's 17 years ago, of their own bat, that is without newspaper stings giving them a pointer, They've convicted about, oh, I think it's about five or six blokes, and, and a lot of them are very, very obscure players. So I don't have any confidence in the uh, cricket's anti-corruption unit. And I just last question before I let you go. You know, the Australian media has been accused of really getting stuck into this English side. 
now, the English media fired back and they ran a story that sort of centred around Nathan's line, Nathan Lyon's personal life off, off the field. I'm just wondering, do you think that sort of thing crosses a line? Um, well, I don't enjoy it. You know, I don't enjoy uh, the, when uh, the paparazzi uh, film someone. Uh, you know, my, my philosophy, and, and you know, I'm not going to judge other people, Menace. My philosophy has always been on times where I was on, when I was on tour uh, that I used to say to players, do you know what? I don't care what you do off the field so long as there's no police or disciplinary action. I said, if you're dropped from the team for being out late, I'll write it. If you're disciplined by the police or thrown out of a nightclub and it's official news, We'll write it, but in terms of players and their private lives, you know, generally speaking, it's you, you pay them that respect of staying of, of just letting it be. But it's a matter of debate. It's, and uh, you know, I hope uh, for Nathan and his uh, former partner they can they can work things out. Well, good to finish on a curly one, Crash. Uh, th- thanks so much for your time during this test match. Uh, I'll let you go now. I just want to say Merry Christmas. Have a great. Christmas and I hope you get lots of turkey and ham and we'll catch up over Boxing Day. Great, Menace, and thanks for letting me be on the podcast. I've really enjoyed it. The same to you. See you soon. Cheers. Hi, Menace. How are you going? Uh, Hi, Steve. Look, I know you probably thought you were going to get the day off the podcast when you heard I wasn't coming in, but you didn't think I would let you off, did you? How are you feeling after England coughed up the ashes? Um, I'm not too bad, actually. I I spent the evening in a a darkened room, sort of coming to terms with it. But then this morning, actually, it, it hasn't taken that long to come to terms with because... To be honest, it was largely what was expected. We thought we were going to lose. I thought we were going to lose uh, probably by Perth, maybe in Melbourne. But perhaps the manner or, or the margins of the, the defeat has sort of turned the screw a little bit. But the bold facts of it is that the best team won. England went up to it. And, and everything that we worried about pre-series has, has come to pass. Yeah, look, I love the analysis, but I'm really here to gloat. Uh, in the end, it was just pretty dire for England. I mean, they've gone to the Boxing Day test again with the Ashes already decided. I mean, are you a bit embarrassed about your team? It's, it, yeah, it's not a good look, and it is it is a tough one to take. Embarrassed? May, may, maybe not. Worried more than more than embarrassed. I think the big problem was, uh, or, or, or the regret, is that our, our big names didn't fire. The people that we needed to lead the way, Alistair Cook, Joe Root, Moen Ali, and then particularly in Perth, Stuart Broad, had an absolute stinker. And so, yeah, there is a bit of regret and a bit of embarrassment there. But uh, I'm consoling myself with the fact that... Uh, when we look at the last time that Australia won the Ashes away from home, it's, it's, a, it's a fair distance longer than the last time England won over here. So I'm, I'm clinging to small mercies like that. Oh, he throws one back at the Aussies. Well, Steve, I've got to say, <laughs> Australia tends to fight a lot harder in England than the English fight in Australia. Uh, we tend to put our all in and compete in series and matches and produce these classic cliffhangers in England. But it hasn't happened here with this English side, that's for sure. That's very true. I mean, that, that, that's the problem that seems to happen here. And it's a sort of almost a self-perpetuating thing because of the history, uh, particularly the recent history, but, but, but longer than that as well. That when things start to go wrong for England in Australia, they really go wrong and the wheels come off uh, very quickly. I mean, I, I, I don't want to be harping back to uh, Ben Stokes and all that sort of thing, but we, we arrived on these shores already under a cloud and Australia sends blood, as they quite often do. And with the 
the fierce pace attack that you've got and, and the world-class batsman in Steve Smith. But, you know, you talk about embarrassment and shame and that sort of thing. And, and there are problems that we've had with the team. But when you, you stand and watch someone like Steve Smith doing what he does, uh, he, he would be a match for any team in the world, especially on home soil. So uh, we lost to a very good team who were playing very well. We could have fought harder. Uh, hopefully we will show a bit of fight and win back a bit of pride in Melbourne and Sydney. But uh, <laughs> there's not a lot of evidence to sort of back up that that hope. Uh, but uh, hope springs eternal. You're very level-headed, Steve. Now, tell me, have you quit the Daily Telegraph cricket blog for the summer now or are they making you still stick at it? Well, thankfully, I do actually get a test off for Melbourne. The, 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 the great staff down at the Herald Sun sort of take care of that one as their as their home test. So I do get Christmas off to sit at home and watch the cricket uh, as a punter rather than someone who has to sort of describe every wicket that uh, England lose, uh, which is quite a quick process sometimes. Uh, so I actually get to enjoy that one. So it would be just my luck, actually, if that's the one that we win when I'm not actually in the office to, to gloat a little bit back, even though it would be small beer. Yeah, well, look, it makes fills my heart with joy that I I know you blogged those three tests and had to <laughs> suffer through every ball. You know, you couldn't even look away. You're being paid to look at every ball. So that was really good. Look, before I let you go, I just want to look ahead at England's team. This, this is really danger signs for England for the next few years because Broad looks like he's finished. Anderson doesn't have long left. Cook looks cooked. So you've got you've got to find a whole new team. The bowlers coming through that are on this tour don't look up to test standard. You've got a few spots in that batting order to fill up. So I can sort of predict a pretty tough couple of years for English cricket and English fans. Well, well, that's that's very true. And and the trouble is, uh, as much as we look like a team, you know, top to bottom that needs sort of rejuvenation and to some old heads perhaps to move on. The problem is that there's no one to come in who, who's knocking down the door who's definitely better than them. So um, I think, you know, as much as Nathan Lyon would like to see a few people uh, uh, ending their careers and hanging in their, their P45s, I think there won't actually be many changes to this team uh, going into the English summer simply because there aren't that many options to come in. I mean, that that is a sort of slightly sad state of affairs for an Englishman. I mean, the only hope is that, you know, 18 months until the next Ashes is enough time for someone to sort of come forward and knock on the door and maybe justify coming in for route. But, uh, yeah, Broad has had an absolute stinker. I think he will be rested for the, the remainder of this tour. But, yeah, come the next summer, it's going to be Broad and Anderson and then plus two others uh, who will be be leading the line for for England. And and that is a genuine worry going forward, especially when we look at uh, across to the other change room and see a young, hungry Australian team that, that, that by the looks of it, is probably going to get better rather than get worse in the the time between now and the next session. So we've got an awful lot of work to do, um, but hopefully... A couple of bolters or bolters will spring out of somewhere and um, we'll be more competitive the next time we meet. Yeah, and hopefully Australia can win their first Ashes series in, in England since 2001 when we go there in 2019. Well, you have to get practicing with the Dukes balls in the Sheffield Shield and uh, come prepared for, for it swinging around a little bit. But uh, yeah, looking at the, the quality that you have in your bowling attack, um, I think, uh, yeah, Hazelwood, Cummins and Stark, if they can all stay fit, uh, it doesn't matter what's in their hand. They could throw down a tennis ball and it would still be terrifying. Yeah, and if you prepare green tops in England for them, then that could bring them right into the game. So, look, it's it's great news for Australians, not so good for English fans, but I've really enjoyed having you on the podcast, Steve. So thanks for all your hard work. Sorry to make you suffer. And, look, have a good break over Boxing Day and Christmas and we'll catch up next year. Yeah, thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it.
Well, I could not resist talking to Steve after Australia secured the Ashes yesterday at Perth. But look, now the Ashes has been decided and Australia's most exciting sporting competition kicks off with the Big Bash set to set summer alight. Now, I'm lucky enough to have on the line one of the Melbourne Renegades players. He has also played two tests for Australia. I'm talking about John Holland, left-arm orthodox spinner from the Melbourne Renegades. Hi, John. How are you? Not too bad. Thanks, mate. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Look, the Aussie test side has done things perfectly. They've regained the Ashes a day before the big bash starts. What perfect timing. Yeah, they've played extremely well. I think, you know, the the team that they've got in at the moment is strong in all areas of the game and they've, um, you know, they've made England look pretty weak. Yeah, did you watch the finish to the test? Yeah, I was watching it last night. It was um, a bit of emotion out there. They've uh, worked pretty hard to to get the Ashes back, and uh, it was a great result for Australian cricket. Yeah, is anyone in the team that you're particularly close to or particularly happy for? Oh, you know, I've spent a bit of time with a few of them at the academy and, and in junior teams and that sort of stuff. So, now it's always good to see the Australian cricket team strong and, and performing well, and um, I'm sure they're all pretty happy. Yeah, and it's perfect timing now that the stage is set for the Big Bash to take over summer. How are you feeling about getting back into Big Bash cricket after, I think, last season you sat out with an injury? You must be pretty thrilled to get back into the comp. Yeah, it's a great, um, it's a great comp for Big Bash. Uh, it's exciting, big crowds and that sort of stuff that we're not really used to in domestic cricket. So, um, you know, it's good to, to be back in Melbourne with the, the Renegades and not have to travel over to Adelaide over, over Christmas and that sort of stuff. So, no, I'm really excited to to be back at back fit and, and hopefully I can get a game for the for the Renegades. Yeah, and um, was there any reason that you moved back from the Strikers to the Renegades? Uh, not not really. Um, I think being home is a big part of it. Um, Andrew McDonald's our Victorian coach, and he's also the coach of the Renegades, so I get on quite well with, and he's you know pretty supportive of my bowling and and I like uh, working with him. So that that played a pretty big part in the decision as well. Now, what are you doing to get yourself ready for the rigours of Big Bash and T20 cricket? Oh, I think just, um, you know, it's, a, it's quite a different game than, than uh, Shield cricket, which we've been playing the, the last few months. You know, it's quite tactical. You, know, you have to change the way you bowl a fair bit. So you know, I've just been working with Ronnie and, and a couple of the senior blokes on, you know, what the best way about going into T20 and, and what sort of mindset and the way you're going to bowl. Yeah, for a spin bowler, do you look at things like maybe bowling a little bit less flight and varying your pace more than you might do in, say, a Sheffield Shield match? Yeah, I think so. I think if you look at the, the spinners that have had success in the game, they've sort of got the ball into the wicket. And, um, you know, maybe a bit of a shorter length that the, the players can't stand there and get up and under and, and hit you down the ground. So, you know, I think you can, you know, there's times where you can throw it up and, you know, if you've got a new batsman in that sort of thing, but. Now, usually you're trying to defend yourself and, and limit the boundaries. Now, the Renegades just missed out on the semi-finals last year. They won four from eight, but they lost a couple of really tight games and in the end probably cost them when it came to semi-final time. Has the skipper of the Renegades, Aaron Finch, talked about what he wants the team to do in those tight situations? No, I don't think so. I think that's the that's T20. It's never predict the outcome. You know, it only takes one player to have a day out to, to beat you. So, um, no, I don't, I don't think we've really talked about that as much. More more talked about what we're going to do, you know, throughout the whole game and throughout the whole competition that you know, hopefully we can get to the finals and, and win, the, win the competition. Yeah, I was he- hearing the Sydney Sixers skipper, Moises Enriquez, yesterday say that he thinks the Renegades are one of the favourites to- for the tournament. I guess, what do you identify some of the strengths of this Renegade squad? 
Uh, definitely the batting's a, a big strength. Um, you know, the folks that in the top order really hit the ball hard and, you know, they've got a lot of experience. Cameron White, Brad Hodge, Alan Finch is probably the best, one of the best T20 batsmen in the world. So, you know, to have those three blokes along with Marcus Harris and Tom Cooper, I think it's a pretty um, strong batting lineup. Uh, Dwayne Bravo as well, he's played a lot of 2020 cricket. So, you know, I think the, the, the ability to score lots of runs throughout the 20 overs is, is pretty good. And, um, you know, the bowling with Brad Hogg, uh, Nabby, who's coming, I haven't seen much of but apparently he's a quite a good bowler. So I think, you know, the spins there and the pace as well with Kane Richardson coming from Adelaide's throw. So I think it's a pretty good all-round team that, you know, that should go pretty deep in the competition. Yeah, what's it like in the group to have players like Brad Hogg and Brad Hodge around that have so much experience? What do they bring to the, the team? Oh, I think, you know, Brad Hodge has played T20 cricket all over the all over the world in many different teams. So I think his experience and his knowledge of the game, you know, is, is priceless in this sort of short-form competition that we've got, we're about to play in. So I think, you know, the, way, the, the knowledge he brings towards the team and, and his ideas that you know, can bounce off with um, blokes, inexperienced blokes, is, is great. Yeah, you mentioned Dwayne DJ Bravo is back this year from injury. I just wonder what he's like around the dressing rooms. Is it all like music playing and, you know, fancy jewellery and stuff, or is he pretty down-to-earth at the team, in the team? Oh, I, I, haven't, I haven't had much to do with him since he played for Victoria in the T20, which was a few years ago now. Um, he was pretty quiet back then, so you know, I, I assume he's, he's still the same. He keeps to himself a little bit. You know, he's, a, he's a great bloke to have in the team. He's a pretty exciting player. Yeah, I guess if the Renegades could go on and lift the BBL, we could see the champion dance, perhaps. <laughs> All right, so a couple of other elements of your squad I want to touch on. Spin bowling has been a huge success in T20 cricket right around the world. I mean, you've got yourself, you've got uh, Brad Hogg, uh, Nabi. Why do you think spin bowling is so successful in T20 cricket? It's hard, it's hard to tell. I think, um, you know, around Australia, the grounds are quite, quite big. I'm usually playing on a ground that's got a, a deep one side that's bigger than the other. So if you can get your spinners on there and the batsmen are looking to attack, I think it brings a lot of opportunities in for spin bowlers to take wickets with the pace off the ball. Do you find that there's a sort of ego with batsmen? Like they, they see a spinner come on and think, I'm going to hit this bloke out of the park and doesn't doesn't work out that way? Uh, I think a few batsmen probably think that way. But, um, you know, you've got to score in T20 cricket. So once that middle over's come in, you've got five out. It's still, you know, you've got, to, you've got to really hit the ball well to, to find the gaps and clear clear the blokes in the deep. So, you know, it just brings in a lot of opportunities. And how much is scouting other sides and other batsmen becoming a part of the T20 comp? Do you and the other bowlers and the coach spend a lot of time looking at other teams? Yeah, I think so. I think um, within the game, you've all got your sort of match-ups where you identify which batsmen you know, you're going to be more effective too and, you know, what batsman's going to target you and who you've got to defend yourself against. So I think there's little match-ups within every game that you that you look at with the coaches and the, and the captain and that sort of thing. And have you sort of identified any other squads in the comp this year to, that stand out to you and look particularly dangerous? I think every every team in the comp's very strong. They've all got some really good players. and you know, so, so it's going to be, it's always pretty tight. You can't really predict who's going to be the winner at the end. So I think, um, you know, you've got to, find each team and, and match yourselves up and, and see how you go. All right. Now, before I let you go, I just want to ask you a couple of general cricket questions. Uh, I want to go back to when you made your test debut in Sri Lanka last year. At the time, I thought that it was really difficult for you. You were flown in when Stephen O'Keefe was injured and dropped in to that second test. 
I want to, from your perspective, how hard was it adapting to those conditions with virtually no preparation? Oh, it, was, it was difficult, but, you know, that's, that's cricket. Um, you know, I hadn't been doing much bowling. It was the off-season back here in Australia, so I wasn't even the Australian A team either. So the thought of playing for Australia was the furthest thing from my mind. So it was it was tough, but it was great to get the opportunity. Um, you know, I gave it my best. I worked hard when I got over there, and it just didn't probably go as well as I would like. Yeah, it just looked really tough because, you know, they, they spent so much time talking about how it was different bowling in the subcontinent, you know, more sort of undercut and variations, and then you virtually had no time to practice that, and then you were sort of facing the Sri Lankan batsmen on flat tracks. Yeah, it was it was tough, but, you know, you've got to, you've got to try and adapt as, as well as you can. Um, you know, I'd love another opportunity to play for Australia if it comes about, but, you know, I'm grateful that I, got, that I did actually get the chance in Sri Lanka. Well... You've been around for a while, but you're only a young man still, so you've got plenty of time left in the game, so hopefully that happens. With the Big Bash, do you think they should play it on Christmas Day? Uh, no, I don't think so. Just because it's sort of a public holiday? Oh, I just think it's Christmas Day. You know, it's, We play a lot of cricket as it is, and I don't think it's necessary that we play on Christmas Day. I don't think it's probably the right thing to do. And would you like to see an expanded BBL competition with maybe a few more games for each team every summer? Well, it's extended to 10 games this year. It's such a great product, the Big Bash. I don't think you really need to rush into to too many more games and, and ruining the, the product we've got. So I think, you know, just maybe taking it a bit slower and, and 10 games is probably enough at the moment. All right, now last question, John. We've seen balls being hit back at bowlers harder and harder. I know in baseball they've sort of worked on a pitcher's helmet to protect their head. Is that something that bowlers have ever talked about, is is wearing something to protect your head when you're bowling in T20 cricket? I, I haven't heard anyone speak about it too too much, but I think it is you know, it is something to think about, um, especially in the nets of training, the blokes are smacking them back at you all the time. So it's probably worth a thought um, whether it happens or not. All right, John. Well, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Best of luck with the Renegades this summer. Can't wait for the Big Bash and uh, have a good Christmas and New Year. Thanks, mate. You too. You're listening to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Menzel, and I'm lucky enough to have on the line Matt Renshaw from the Brisbane Heat. How are you, Matt? Not too bad. How are you going? Yeah, really good, thanks. Now, look, you're seen as a classical opener, but I've seen that for this big bash league, you're trying to transform yourself into an off-spinning all-rounder. What's happening there? Yeah, well, I'm just trying to to see how it goes and just enjoying playing a different format. Yeah, what's your spinning, what's your spin bowling like? Uh, It's not too bad. I've been hit for quite a few sixes from, from Chris Lynn and that lot, but that's just expected, I think. Yeah, and is, and do you want to like bat up the top of the order in in T Twenty cricket, or do you see yourself more as a middle order player? Um, I, depends what the the team really needs. I think not too too fussed if I have to bat the middle order or at the top of the order. Just I think wherever I can fit in the team would be would be great. Yeah, now obviously adding bowling as a skill would be a huge help. You know, you were unlucky to miss out on the test side earlier this summer. They're always looking for people who can roll the arm over. Is that part of the reason for bowling as well? No, I think it's just to try and make sure that when I'm when I'm fielding, it doesn't get too boring. I don't think you see a lot. You just stand in the field for six hours. You want to try and try and help the team other than just fielding. So I just thought I'd roll the arm over in the nets and and got the call up in a shield match and and the JLT cup. How have you coped with sort of being left out of the test side? Um, yeah, it's it's been tough, but I've just tried to to use as much 
of that as motivation going forward. And, and have you watched um, The Ashes while it's been going on? And how was that? Oh, definitely. It was great to see the, the Aussies win yesterday. It's a, Obviously, it would be a great thrill to be there, but unfortunately can't. But I can imagine how excited all the boys would be in that dressing room. Yeah, how hard do you think it is for the English batsmen when they go out there and there's Hazelwood, Stark, Cummins and Lyon bowling at them? You've obviously faced them in the nets and in the shield. You know, what sort of, how hard are they to bat against? Oh, they're, they're obviously one of the best um, pace bowl, uh, bowling attacks in the world at the moment. It just shows that even when all the big three quicks, Nathan Lyon's bowling unbelievable at the moment and just not giving him anything to, to really have a rest on. When you were axed from the test side, I heard you say you were going to try and speak to some people about ways to you know, score runs when you're out of form. Has there anyone you've sought out since then to have a chat with? I think Uzi Kawaj has been quite good just talking to me. He's obviously our captain at Queensland and he's just been really good and he's been there quite a few times in his career and just told me to try and keep it as simple as possible. And and how's, have you, how, how have you gone with that? Yeah, yeah, pretty good. I just kept find, finding ways to get out after... This whole um, Sheffield Shield season, and finally got some some time in the middle, and and just and found it in that last Shield game. Yeah, and do you think batting in the subcontinent in the off season sort of affected your preparation for this season? I think it's you just got to try and learn to adapt. You see it with with uh, Shield cricket to twenty twenty cricket now, so I think it's about learning to adapt as quick as possible and and have different plans. Obviously, you're going to have different plans for, for white ball, red ball, subcontinent and Australia. So probably just didn't adjust back well enough when I when I got back. I mean, just sort of theoretically, obviously obviously that's a challenge that's hard to prepare for, that adaptability. It's really only experience that can bring that to you. Is that sort of a way of looking at it? Yeah, definitely. It's just something that I'll probably get a lot better at when I'm older, but I'm, I'm still 21. I've got plenty of time left in my career and Hopefully, you can have a few more, few more wins in the baggy green, and hopefully, win an Ashes series myself. Yeah, plenty, plenty of time for you, Maddie, to get back there. I was at the SCG when I saw you smash the Pakistan attack all around the ground, and you know, later on in that 180 you made for Australia, you you really opened up and hit some big sixes. Is that the sort of part of your game that you need to expand for the big bash? I think so. Yeah, they've just given me quite a quite a bit of freedom and, and to work on what what I want to work on and, and see where I can see where I can hit the ball and not hit the ball. So it's been nice this first first couple of weeks in, in the heat colours. Yeah, do you sort of go into the nets when you're preparing for the Big Bash with a totally different mindset and really practice all those shots? Yeah, I think so. It's it's a, a lot different. You're trying not to get out in the in the shield cricket nets, whereas you're trying to score as many runs as possible in the um, 2020 nets. Or if you're bowling, trying not to, to get one hit back at you from, from Chris Lynn or Ben Cutting. Yeah, I'm just thinking, do you give out like hard hats for all the people sort of in the vicinity when, you know, Chris Lynn and Cutting and Brendan McCullum are in the nets? Because I can imagine being sort of within the radius of the Gabba nets could be pretty dangerous when they're batting. Yeah, well, a lot of the, the coaches who are side-arming wear cricket helmets and I was honestly thinking about wearing one last night when I was bowling at them because you don't know where they're going to come back. They're definitely going to be coming back a lot faster than, than what you bowl at them, especially my pace. Yeah, I spoke to John Holland earlier today and I was saying that, you know, maybe bowlers wearing helmets is some area that they might look to do. I know baseball pitchers wear like a pitching helmet sometimes. Is that something you think you would wear? Oh, definitely. You don't want to get hit in the head, especially when you're, you rarely see it when you're bowling. But 
I think if there's a way to, to not get hit in the face, I'll, I'll happily do that. <laughs> it's hard when you sort of through your action and then the ball comes back at you so fast. You know, it's hard to adjust for a bowler in that situation. Yeah, I just sort of go for the for the short leg technique and, and tuck my legs between my head, tuck my head between my legs so I don't don't get hit on the head. Yeah, that's all right for, for for me. I'm about four feet tall, but for you, I, even when you tuck down, you're still a bit of a target. Yeah, yeah. I just or just run away after you bowl it. <laughs> uh, what sort of skipper is Brendan McCullum? Um, I haven't haven't seen too much. I've, I've had one session with him, but he seems quite relaxed. But he knows. We've got to have a lot of intensity, especially he's played a lot of 2020 cricket in his time. So just trying to learn as much as I can off him while he's here. Excellent. What an opportunity. Now, when I watch Chris Lynn play, he what strikes me is his incredible calmness under pressure. I mean, the Heat look in trouble in these chases, and then he just smashes them to victory, you know, barely raises a sweat. Have you noticed that ability about him just to remain calm when the pressure's increasing? Definitely, I think that just that's him in, in his personality as well. You don't don't see him get too flustered too often. So I think he brings that into his personality and then just goes out there and and just stays calm and hits massive sixes. Yeah, I can't wait to see him back this summer. Have you guys started to look at the other teams in the competition and do your scouting for the other big bash sides? And any of those teams sort of stand out? I think it's probably hard to. To not look at other teams, Big Bash is such a, a big time. Everyone's sort of just looking at who they're going to play against. And you see the Perth Scorchers won it last year. They're probably going to be up against it this year trying to defend their title. But they've got a, a very strong team with a lot of young guys that have come through in, in the Western Australian team, Justin Langer. So they'll probably be, be quite tough. And, and who knows that I, I feel like we've we've got a pretty strong squad as well. Yeah, well, what can you tell us about... Is it Shadib Khan who's come over to play for the Heat? Yeah, Shadab Khan is a, a leg spinner from, from Pakistan. He had his first session last night and quite a few of the blokes were, were struggling to pick him. So it'll be interesting to see how he goes and hopefully he can get a few of the Melbourne Stars batsmen out because they can't pick him tomorrow night. <laughs> Let's hope. I mean, the other one is Rashid Khan who's playing for the strikers, the, the Afghanistan spinner. I mean, those two spinners are going to be such an X factor because Australia really doesn't have many of those mystery spinners in the domestic comp, do we? So how are they going to cope? Yeah, I think they're going to go all right. It's good that um, we've got Shadad, we've got Mitchell Swepson, who's one of the, the bright young talents of, of Queensland cricket, is leg spinners. So they're going to work together quite nicely, I think, like, like Mitchell worked with, with Samuel Badry last year. And how far are you away from making the starting 11, do you think, for the Heat? Um, I'm, I'm not too sure. You'd have to ask uh, Vittoria on that because I'm just going out in the nets and just trying trying to see what 2020 cricket's like. I've, I've not played a – before Saturday, Friday, I hadn't played a 2020 game for, for two years, so – it was a long time between drinks for me, but hopefully I can just try and, and impress them in the nets and, and maybe get a go. You must be stoked this year to be part of the comp, though, because it really is lights up the summer and now you get to sort of, you know, really be a part of it. That must be a huge thrill for you. Yeah, definitely. It's it's great to, to see how the, the 2020 gets played. It's not just hit and giggle. It's a lot more than that. So I think if, you, if I learn the tactics, it, it can put me in good stead for the future, obviously. Got a, a long career ahead of me, hopefully, and a, hopefully a lot of games for the Brisbane Heat. Excellent. Well, before I let you go, I just want to ask your opinion on a couple of general Big Bash topics. First question, do you ever think we could see robot umpires umpiring T20 cricket? 
robot. Uh, I think so. Well, I, I suggested to to the boys. I thought there might be um, no square leg umpire in a, in a few years' time. Just a, a camera there for runouts and that sort of thing. And then because I just think it's it's quite quite dangerous if a, if an umpire gets hit in the head. You see them wearing up helmets now. So I think there could be a no square leg umpire and then just running uh, the one umpire at a time. Well, we think alike because, you know, the way artificial intelligence is going, you know, you could have computers that process all the information quicker than a human umpire, you know, Hawkeye, or, you know, all the information they could process quicker. So, and the safety element. So you, we're on the same wavelength, Maddie. Yeah, definitely. Now, uh, what do you think about Big Bash being played on Christmas Day? Um, I'm, I'm not a fan of it personally. I think that the Christmas Day is quite a, quite a family sort of thing, so sort of brings out that family element and, and you want to give people a day off on, on Christmas Day and then obviously you've got the Boxing Day test and, and now Boxing Day Big Bash game. So I think there's probably enough cricket around that time just to, to give all the players a, a nice day off on Christmas that's well-deserved. Excellent. Well, Maddie, thanks so much for your time. Um, good luck with your first season for the Heat and hopefully you can smash some big sixes. Thank you. Thanks for the time. Well, that's it for the podcast this week, and what a week it has been for Australian cricket. The Ashes have been regained. The Big Bash is about to start. As they say, it is all happening. Thanks so much for Robert Craddock, Steve Wilson, John Holland, and Matt Renshaw for coming on the podcast. Thanks to all the listeners who've been listening to the show all year and since we kicked off in October. We're going to take a break now and we'll be back after the festive season for the Boxing Day Test wraps. So we'll see you during the Boxing Day Test and thanks again for listening.